Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. To hear more sermons and to find out more about our church, please visit sugarhillchurch.com. Many of us, including myself, have had to go to court before. (laughs) Guilty. In need of acquittal, yet guilty. So I remember as a young man going to the Gwinnett County Court and standing before the judge and my attorney beside me with my dad on the front row of the gallery thinking to myself, whatever this judge gives me, my dad is going to do 10 times worse. (laughs) But it was really comforting to have somebody next to me, for me, speaking on my behalf, taking my place. And sure enough, I remember that pretty ancient judge bringing me up to his bench and looking at me and covering the little microphone and saying, son, you did it, didn't you? Yes, sir. (laughs) He said, I'm going to let you learn a lesson, and I'm going to let you go into your father's hands. I turned around and looked at my attorney, and he was like, this is great. And I thought, you don't know my dad. I'm so messed up. (laughs) Today we're continuing the series of encounters. And today's encounter, as we've talked about for several weeks now, um, gives us how Jesus has an encounter with people and how that relates back to us. But today's encounter, frankly, is um, it's complicated. Haven't you, haven't you kind of got to the point that most every relationship in some way is complicated? Because we, we've, we've all got our own junk. I mean, like in this room, we have all kind of belief systems represented. We have some folks here that have no faith belief system. I mean, you may not call yourself an agnostic or, or an atheist or anything, but you just you don't have any belief system. And you kind of go through the scale. You get all the other side and people who are like super Christian people, you know. And, and we got everything in between. And, you know, I've discovered we all kind of have our own moral code, but Jesus, when he encounters the people in today's teaching, we discover there's a different code out there, and we are in need, standing before a judge at times, to have an advocate for us. Hence the name today, the advocates, is our teaching for encounters. We'll be in John, the Gospel of John, chapters 13 and 14, primarily in chapter 14, if you have your Bible and you want to find that. But what we find here is that Jesus' encounter is with his disciples in the upper room at the first Lord's Supper. Today we're going to observe the Lord's Supper. Many of you know it as communion. Some of you know it as the Eucharist. Some of you know it as sacraments. Whatever your faith system background is at, we're going to participate in the Lord's Supper today. And it is a picture, it's a metaphor of Jesus dying and giving his life for us. And whether you have any faith system or not, Jesus explains the why behind that in today's teaching. And so what we find here is that while in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the other three gospel writers, we read a lot about the meal, about the breaking of the bread and and the drinking of the wine, what we don't find in the gospel of John is anything about the meal, but we find a lot about what Jesus said. I have had the, um, the honor to be beside people in the hospital or in hospice or in homes who were conveying their final words. You know what I find? That when people are about to die, 
they don't play around. They speak directly as to what matters most because time is so precious. Jesus is with these disciples and he conveys over three chapters in the Gospel of John, kind of his final discourse and then a whole nother chapter of prayer. And he's unpacking to them in this encounter, this, this critical element of what they are to do. And to understand what's being said by Jesus, we have to understand that over the past three years, these disciples, these 12 men, have walked with, lived with, eaten with, and hung out with Jesus everywhere he goes, and whatever he does, they've done for three years. And so, really, their whole life is now encapsulated in following Jesus. And then Jesus comes to them, and we find in here in this teaching that after all that time traveling and walking with Jesus, they still don't really know him. I mean, at the core, deep down in their being, they don't really know him. And it's in many ways, it's a reflection of many of us here today. Whether you said you've been a Christ follower, a Christian for 40 years, or you have no belief system at all, many of us, most of us, always struggle to try to know Jesus more. And so he says to his disciples after they've been with him three years, you still don't know me. Jesus says in John 13, he says, my children, I will be with you only a little longer where I am going. You cannot come. And this touches off this radical sense of alert. I mean, like red flags and alert signs are going off all over the place in the disciples' minds. What happens is Peter says, wait a minute, I'll follow you, Jesus, wherever you go, even at the cost of my own life. He says that in chapter 13, verse 37. Thomas, over in chapter 14, Thomas is more confused. He says that since they don't really know what he's talking about, where exactly is it that he's going, he wants to know, how can I come? I want to go too. And so then uh, it gets a little more complicated after that when Jesus responds that he's going to his father's house in chapter 14. Philip then asks Jesus, he says, well, would you show us the father? Because Jesus is about, we're about to read that Jesus is saying, I'm out of here, guys. Because, see, in about 24 hours, this whole thing's about to take place. It's going to be difficult, and I'm going to leave you. And they're just dumbfounded because they're thinking, wait a minute, we've walked with you, talked with you. We, we think we know you. And Jesus is teaching with them, and he's teaching for us. Really, it, it, it clearly hadn't taken root in their heart. And if you look at the mess we are in our world today, clearly it hasn't taken root in our heart either. And so Jesus says in John 14, 9, don't you know me? I mean, Jesus makes this statement, don't you know me? I mean, even after I've been among you such a long time, don't you know me? Jesus sees that they, they really haven't had this personal heart change. They haven't had this heart transplant and what they believe to understand him and who he is in their own life. These are Jesus' handpicked dudes. I mean, these are the guys that Jesus picked to go radically change the world and share his message throughout the whole world, and they don't really know him. And following the, in that following day, Jesus is going to die. Not only that, but Jesus knows they're in for massive amounts of persecution and frustration and, and opposition. I mean, beginning at the cross, it's about to get overwhelming. I mean, think about it. What hope is there that they will ever really know and carry his message forward? But there is hope. And Jesus unveils it as he talks with them. Look with me in John chapter 14, and let's, um, let's begin in verse 16. John chapter 14, verse 16. He says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. 
Now, right there, some of your Bibles say counselor, some of your Bibles say comforter, some of your Bibles say advocate. Here's a really cool thing when you're reading your Bible. When you read other versions of the Bible, New American Standard, uh, New International, Holman Christian Standard, English Standard Version, King James Version, whatever it is you're reading. When you find a word, especially in the New Testament, that they can't come to agreement on, what they're really saying is the nuance of that word is so powerful, one English word can't suffice. Are you with me? And so here, what we find is this concept that, and I will ask the Father and He will give you another helper, counselor, comforter, advocate, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more but you will see me because I live. You also will live, and in that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Now watch this, because this gets really interesting. Jesus makes some remarkable statements in this passage. I mean, Jesus says to them first, he says, the Spirit is not just some ethereal force out there, that the Holy Spirit is a person. Now, this, this is critical, so if you've already checked out on me, come back. All right? What Jesus is saying is God the Father, the Creator, looked at the world He created and the mess we made of it, and He said, wow, in my perfection, I have to be separated from a relationship with these people. So God took a part of Himself in Jesus and sent Him here and he was born of a virgin. That's why we celebrate Christmas. Then he died for our sins, which is why we celebrate Easter, because he rose from the dead and went to be with the Father. So God our Creator, Jesus our Savior, and because of Jesus, because he no longer walks on this earth, he's saying, you can't really know me until you get the third part of God, which is his Holy Spirit, and that is not just some ethereal force. It is a person called the Holy Spirit of God. God, three parts, the Trinity, God the Father, Jesus the Savior, Holy Spirit the Sustainer. If you're with me, nod. You got it? And so Jesus is saying to his handpicked dudes, I'm about to check out of here, and I'm going to go through literal hell before I go back to be with the Father. And where I'm going, you cannot go, but the God, we're going to send you somebody else, and it's called the Holy Spirit. And because of that, God is going to dwell in you, and that word dwell literally means it's going to saturate you to the bone in every part of your being. He's going to dwell in you and you in him, which means you'll never be alone. You'll never be without his help. And Jesus is saying to those guys and to us, listen, you can have this. It's for the asking. Now, when you get here, though, it gets really funky. In one sense, Jesus is leaving, and in another, God is sending someone else in his place. So who's this person? Well, let's go back to chapter 14. And in John chapter 14, we read another perspective. Look at verse 25. These things, again, this is Jesus talking again. If you've got a red-letter Bible, you see that. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper comforter, 
the helper, the counselor, the helper, the advocate, whatever your version says. Then it says the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And then listen to this wonderful passage. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Don't let your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus is saying, man, don't freak out. I'm doing this for you. Now, just imagine if you're one of those dudes and you've traveled with Jesus for three years and he's about to die and he says, I'm going away, but God's sending you somebody else in my place. You know what they're thinking? This is totally uncool, not acceptable, no way. Nobody can replace you, Jesus. There's no possible way. And so they get freaked out and they get fearful. Jesus says to them in the middle of their fear, listen, peace I bring to you, peace is yours. If you're here today and whatever it is you're going through and you're battling whatever that is, Jesus' words to them is the same words for you. You don't have to be afraid because, see, the disciples could sit there and be afraid because Jesus was about to be persecuted, whipped, spat upon, scourged, had a crown of thorns crushed upon his head, a spear in his side, nails in his hands, nails in his feet, completely bit beaten beyond recognition and died. And they would witness all that and thought they would be alone the next day. But Jesus says to you today, you don't have to wake up afraid. I'm not leaving you. And you see, this is Jesus' message to those guys as they celebrated the first Lord's Supper. In the old King James Version, the version they use is not comforter or helper or counselor. It is advocate. I mean, in the NIV uses advocate. The Greek word for that word, to help us get a little more understanding of it, really gets us to all of those meanings. None of them are incorrect. Comforter, counselor, helper. But advocate is probably the best perspective here. Because, you see, if you think about a comforter, you think of someone who will be there with empathy and holding your hand, and Jesus does that. If you think about a, a, a counselor, someone that hears you and helps you, and Jesus does that. If you think about a helper, you think of an assistant that can go before you, and Jesus does that. But the advocate is someone who stands in your shoes and represents you. The Greek word paraclete. That's the word used there. In the Greek, it's paraclete. It's a noun, but the verb form is parakaleo. And when you see that, kaleo means to call or to direct someone. Para means to come alongside someone. So imagine like in our English language, we think of someone who comes along beside a paralegal, someone who comes along beside a paramedic. Are you with me? And so we see this paraclete only used one other time in Scripture, and we see that in 1 John 2 where it says, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, a paraclete, with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So Jesus, you see, is our first advocate, and God's Holy Spirit is our second advocate. But you don't get the first one, then you don't get the second one you got to put them in order. You get Jesus, then you have a relationship with God. In a relationship with Jesus, you get God's gift of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? And so when you look at that, you say, He never left us. He never abandons us. And you say, well, how can He always be there for us? Because of the Holy Spirit. 
And Jesus is saying to them, and he's unpacking for them, that their advocate, the counselor, is coming to them. But notice that he also said that there would be another. Jesus is teaching that they really don't know him as his work on the cross has not yet been finished. As a result, his Holy Spirit has not yet come to them. But we don't have that problem today because Jesus' work on the cross and paying for our messed up lives has already been done. So the Holy Spirit, his gift, God's gift for us that we might dwell with him is for the asking free. Now, maybe you came from a faith system where you say, man, Chuck, that just does not register. That does not compute in my brain. Watch, watch the simplicity of God's plan. God creator creates this earth. And we in humans just mess up. Like if I took a poll today and said, how many of you were perfect this week and didn't do anything wrong? Man, there wouldn't be a single hand go up except for liars. And then you would have messed up. If I took another poll and said, okay, how many of you have totally radically messed up your life? Man, we'd have people all over saying, yeah, dude, I'd do that. But we, we put our church face on, so we're not going to let people know that. We're not going to let people know we're lonely and we're hurt and we're abandoned and we're scared and we're frightened and life is just br- you know, brutal on us right now. We wouldn't do that because in our humanity, too much pride. But we would, we would, many of us would say, man, I've been there, done that. So God looks at us and he says, you know what? I'm going to send part of me, Jesus, so that he can be fully human like you and he's going to die on a cross And he's going to shed his blood as payment for all the messed up junk we've done. All my junk, all your junk. And and when he did, he's going to raise from the dead three days later, and then he's going to come sit beside me after hanging out here for a few years. And the people that are here who would trust him as their advocate, I'm going to give them the Holy Spirit so that they have me dwell in them. How cool. God cares for you. God loves you. God adores you so much that he calls you to be his children. Jesus is saying in this encounter that unless you've encountered him, Jesus, you'll never encounter the second advocate, the Holy Spirit. And until you encounter his Holy Spirit, you will never understand all that he has done and can do in you through you, and for you. So what did Jesus do on the cross? You may say, well, that's easy. He died for our sins, and that means we can be forgiven. But Jesus, by calling himself our advocate in the upper room with those guys that night, is showing us that his death was a far more radical act than just that. Jesus died on an old rugged cross to pay for every one of our acts of pride, selfishness, sinfulness, disobedience. I mean, God sets this bar of righteousness as perfection, and we just missed it by a universe. I mean, really, if, if I think about it, we've all got some kind of moral code, don't we? I mean, we, we, we kind of live by some moral code. Whether you believe anything about God or not, whether you think I'm full of baloney or not, we all have some kind of moral code. We would probably all agree killing people, bombing people in the name of God is wrong right? We would all say, let's agree with that. We would all agree murder, taking someone's life is wrong. But now we would probably find hundreds of things that we would consider lesser issues, and, and we might argue about those. But we all have some moral code that we live by. Now, here's an interesting thing. God set the bar of what his code would be at perfection, meaning no sin whatsoever, no mess up, no sinful thought, no sinful act, no sinful deed. And as a result, man, we are guilty as sin. 
we are guilty in sin. And God sets this perspective up. And standing before the court of God, we're guilty unless payment for the crime is given. So by dying on the cross, Jesus stood as our first advocate to say, we're justly forgiven. He stands beside us as we are guilty of sin, as we are guilty in sin, as our advocate, and we are pardoned by his shed blood. I mean, you think about it, this is amazing. In 1 John 2, 2, Scripture says he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. When Jesus goes before God, our judge, he's not asking for mercy because it was already a merciful act at the cross. What he is asking for is acquittal. Standing there, fully guilty, Jesus says, look, I've paid the price for them. Standing before God, Jesus stands beside me as my advocate, and he says, look, see my nail-pierced hands, see my nail-pierced feet, see my spear-pierced side, see the scars from that crown, and see my shed blood. I've already paid the price for them. And as an advocate, the judge bangs the gavel and says, innocent, even though he's guilty. And the advocate reaches his arms around me and he says, I love you. That's why I did this. So Jesus makes the case for us. I mean, he already makes the case. Father, these folks have messed up and sinned, and your law requires the shedding of blood for forgiveness of their sins, but I've paid the price for them. See, here's my blood. Today we remember his broken body as he told the disciples that evening. Guys, if you would, go ahead and start passing out the bread. And we participate today in this Lord's Supper as we take this little piece of bread. We take this wafer today, and Jesus says to us, this is a picture, it's a metaphor. And when you eat this together in a minute, it'll be a time in which we remember that Jesus gave himself to be our advocate. This bread, Jesus says, is a picture of my body broken for you. See, this is an act of mercy. Every other religion in the world essentially looks at life through the scales of justice. I mean, you remember the lady wearing the blindfold holding the scales? In this metaphor, you're on one side of the scale, and on the other side is God's law, and the scales are forever tipped. And without Jesus as our advocate, we go through life working as hard as we can to do good things, be better, count beads, take the sacraments, go to church, give, go to groups. Man, we even pray before meals. We, we just try to be good, and the scales are still tipped, and God says, that's not good enough. And then all of a sudden, we, we come to this recognition, wait a minute, Jesus gave himself to be my advocate, to stand before God and say, my body will be broken, and my blood will be shed, and I want you to remember that I am your advocate. I am here for you. Alone on the side of the scale, we're all losing. And yet in him, as we dwell in him, as he dwells in us, we become perfect. We become just. We become beautiful. We become righteous. You say, Chuck, you don't know what all I've done this week. You don't know what I've done with my life. You don't know what I did last night. And Jesus says, I don't care. I love you. He addressed those guys as my children. 
can do that because he's God. And he said, my children, this is what he says to me and you today. My kids, I love you. This bread represents that I gave myself to you. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, he said, God made him who had no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He said today, I did this for you right here in Sugar Hill, Georgia. Take a minute and pray with me. Just say in your heart, God, thank you that you love me. That you gave your life for me. That you hold me dear. That this wafer is a reminder that you gave your body to be my advocate and make the scales of justice right. And then he prayed, Father, thank you that this bread represents Jesus our King and his broken body in Jesus name Amen and they ate and this just means that just as Jesus was not personally sinful but he was treated as sinful and punished on the cross now he all of us as we believe in him while not personally righteous, while not personally perfect, in Him, as we dwell in Him, as He dwells in us, we become righteous, we become beautiful and perfect by the Father for Jesus' sake. That's why we're remembering through the sharing of the Lord's Supper, a broken body and shed blood. Guys, if you would, go ahead and start passing out this juice. Jesus, after they had the bread, He took a vessel full of wine And he reminded the guys that this this is a picture of my shed blood. The Bible says there's no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. Jesus had to become the one who could die for us and shed his blood for us. Jesus said that this cup was a picture of his shed blood. It was his payment for our sin. So what's the job of the first advocate, Jesus? It's to say before the Father, look at what I've done and now accept them in me. Jesus is saying this cup, this juice is the way of remembering that he paid it all, that we might have forgiveness, that we might have hope for tomorrow, that we might have peace, that we might find contentment, that we might find fulfillment in him, through him, for him, because of him. And he went on, he talked, and I believe as they sat there, maybe as bewildered as some of us are right now, they took a moment and pondered in their own life as I ask you to do as we pray today. Maybe today you'd say, God, search my heart. God, find in me, as the King David said, every wicked way. And maybe in your own heart you'd say to God, maybe for the first time, Jesus, I need you to be my advocate. I need you to be my savior. I need you to be my king. I need you to be my counselor, my comforter, my helper, my strong tower. 
then what would be the job of the second advocate who Jesus promises to send, the, the Holy Spirit? Jesus keeps saying the job of the Spirit is to take all the things that Jesus has done on our behalf, all the things that the disciples and we have yet to grasp, and to teach us and remind us and enable us to finally understand all that Jesus has taught us about his saving work. I love the fact that the Holy Spirit is not merely an instructor, but an advocate. Though he's the spirit of truth, he doesn't merely teach and inform us. He calls us to live according to what he's telling us. He convicts us and challenges us. And all of that is possible because Jesus shed his blood, and we remember that this day. You see the beauty of this, that before Jesus had died for us, we didn't have hope in the Holy Spirit. We couldn't grasp all that God has done through us. Jesus, he made a way for us to be in relationship with him and stay in relationship with him. That's what we remember this day as we bless this juice. Father, thank you that you allowed Jesus, your son, to die for us, that he might stand before us as our advocate and remain with us and in us and for us this day through your Holy Spirit. And we remember that today because he shed his blood. In the name of Jesus, we praise you and bless you. Amen. And they drank. So that's what Jesus was saying, that through the agonizing, pain-filled death of Jesus, we receive the sacrificial, loving advocate, and then the second advocate, the Holy Spirit, to keep us and guide us and direct us. And that's what Jesus is saying in this encounter in the upper room, and it's what he's saying to you and I today. This was and this is his lifeline to everyone then and everyone here who would fail him and then would change the world after his death. He's saying, believe in me and receive the Spirit when I am gone. Listen today to his infallible case, and he will give you an infallible peace. Whether or not you consider yourself a spiritual descendant of these disciples or not, these words were meant for you this day. Today, encounter that same Jesus that you might have his Spirit, that he might stand for you, that he may go before you, that when you are standing there guilty as sin, guilty in sin, that he, the advocate, the counselor, the helper, the comforter would come along and say, I love you. I've got you. You are my child. And oh, listen, friend, all you've got to say is, Jesus, be my advocate. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. And all you've got to do is say, be that for me this day. And there he is for you. Remember him. Encounter him this day.